0: Well, thank you. Here we go again in looking at the theme of grace. And in this session, we're going to say, well, if God receives us as we are, do we have to bother to serve him? If God declares us righteous, why bother to do anything? And so we're gonna look at that theme this evening in this uh, session. So I'm gonna read to you from Hebrews, Hebrews in chapter nine, and reading just a few verses from Hebrews nine and from verse 11. Hebrews 9, 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls And the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who've defiled, sanctify the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Father, we thank you again for your presence with us, the joy that we have in singing your praise Joy of fellowship with one another, above all, Lord, to know you and to enjoy your being here. So, Holy Spirit, we invite your help once again. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, that in our hearts we may hear the voice of God. We know that we're hearing you, Lord, speaking right into our lives for your good and for your glory. Lord, bless us in your presence, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So when Paul spells out, as we saw yesterday, this incredible freedom through grace, we've seen what about the law, we've looked at that, then we've looked at what about sin, we looked at that in the last session, then lastly in this session, what about serving God then? If God's going to say, you're righteous through faith, so why do we have to do anything for God? And I think this verse is very, very relevant to us when it talks about the danger of what the Bible calls dead works, serving God through what is not a living thing. You know, in the UK, you'll find many, many buildings that used to be churches Uh, all over. you see them. They're now uh, museums, they're art galleries, they're warehouses, even mosques. You can look at the uh, architecture. All that used to be a church, but they have closed down all over the place. And and death doesn't come on a church overnight. Uh, We had a little tree in our garden once and we kind of saw death creeping up the branches gradually until the whole thing withered away. And uh, death kind of creeps on things. And one of the ways that happens is when we start doing what I'm calling dead works, when we do things that are not full of life. Now, we might say, well, as spirit-filled believers, we're not into that. That's formal religion. We, we turned our back on formal religion some time ago. We're not interested in that. But I, I'd like us to be a bit more kind of self-critical and ask a few more questions and say, you know, what is a dead work? Well, let me suggest one or two things. First of all, a dead work, I would say, Is something we don't do with faith. We go through the motions, but we're not bringing faith to bear. We're not expecting that God dimension. You could even come to this weekend. You know, it's in the program, so we turn up. Or we may come to any weekend, any Sunday, and it's possible to just get into the routine and not to be bringing faith to bear. Not saying, look, we're reaching for something. We're expecting something. We want to see lives changed we want to see, see people saved and added. And it's possible to simply go through the motions. And that's what can happen to a church that starts in life. And then as the years slip by, you think, what's going on there? And, and they're going through the motions, but where's that faith element? It's kind of gradually disappeared. And, and we do things we don't know why we do them. Why do we have this meeting? Well, we've always had this meeting. So what do we expect to happen? Well, I don't know, nothing much really, we just have this meeting. It's in, the, it's in the program, we always do this this time of the year. It's something we just do. There was, there was a girl in our church once, and she, uh, she said to her mother, why is it, mum, when you cook the Sunday roast, why is it when you cook the Sunday roast, which is a kind of tradition in Britain, you, you cook this beef or lamb or whatever, uh, why is it when you put it in the oven, why is it you cut off the ends of the, of the roast and put it on top. Why do you cut the piece of meat off at each end? Why, why do you do that? And her mother said, I'm not really sure. Uh, grandma always did it. I've always done it. Um, I think it may be to let the juices flow. I'm not really sure. Uh, when grandma oh, comes, she's coming next weekend, ask her. So grandma turns up the next weekend and says, why is it, why is it, grandma, when we cook the roast, Why is it we cut off the two ends and put the meat on the top? Why do we do that? And her grandma said, you still do that? She said, yeah, but why do we do it? She said, I used to do it because the oven was so small. It was the only way I could get (laughs) the meat in. It's possible to be doing stuff. We don't know why we do it. We don't know what we expect to accomplish. It's, It's that time of the year, so we do it. And we, and what used to be something done with real faith and expectation, has become routine—a work that has no faith, no expectation. God's going to do something. I'm sure we've come up to these days. I know I have praying, God, please come. Let it be a deposit that's life-changing for us. We wanted God to do something. So without faith, it's kind of, well, it's just going through the motions. We don't even know why we do it. Or without hope. I always love that story of uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. You may recall a story. It says that they were outnumbered. And, and Jonathan and his armor bearer say, let's go. Let's go and see what, what God might do. And it's interesting that they say perhaps. The word perhaps is in the story. Let's go. Perhaps the Lord will give us a victory. And it's an unusual story because, yeah, God gives them a tremendous victory. So it may not be well-formed faith. It may not be like we know 20 are going to be saved this Sunday, but at least it's, well, maybe God will do something. At least there's hope. At least there's a, you know, there is the God dimension. It could happen. So a work of hope is a, a genuine work. Lord, where are you? You're going to come in a work like that. Another, another dead work, I would say, one without faith, one without hope. I, I would call it a presumptuous work. What do I mean by that? Well, The illustration that comes to mind is when Joshua goes into the promised land, and and there's Jericho, and it's walled up to heaven. You think, boy, how are we going to take it? How are we going to take it? And then he meets with Jesus, worships him, and God gives him instructions. Walk around, walk around. And, And by faith, they walk around Jericho, and I'm sure that was a real test. And on the seventh day, they shout. And it says in Hebrews 11, by faith. The walls of Jericho fell down. It's amazing. Then the next thing that happens is this. Joshua says, where's the next place? And someone says, oh, it's AI. It's just a little place. It's easy. If if we can take Jericho. And so Joshua says, oh, we'll send some of the guys. We won't bother with the whole army. Just, I mean, it's a small place. If we can take Jericho, we can take AI. And they move from faith to presumption in one quick step. It's like, oh, we can handle this. And boy, you know the story well enough, perhaps. They go down, they let them run for their lives. They they, they lose the battle because they're no longer looking to God. They're saying, hey, we can do this. And it becomes a dead work. It's kind of doing the motions, but you're not looking to God anymore. And churches that begin to crunch, begin to lose it, that's one of the ways that can happen. It'd be a kind of presumptuous work. Or maybe another is one that's not commanded by God. Peter was fishing all night, he caught nothing. He said, I'm going fishing. Well, it's after the resurrection even, but he doesn't wait for instructions. I'm going fishing. And then Jesus comes, what have you caught? Nothing. It's uncommanded, uncommanded work. That maybe looks good. And then when Wendy and I were in the first church I served, I wasn't far away from where I was raised. The school I went to is a, a town just like 15, 20 miles down the road. And I had a call from that old school, and they said, "We understand you've become a minister. Um, would you come into the school one day a week and do the religious uh, knowledge uh, thing through the school? We give you a lot of freedom and what you." I thought, "Wow, what an open door!" Because I was very backslidden when I was at school. I thought, "Wow, it's a great opportunity to go and put things right. Great open door, you know, wonderful open door." And I'm excited about it. And I'm praying, Lord, thanks for this open door. And it's one of those times where, you know, you don't feel heaven's very excited like you are. You think, Lord, this sounds good. This is good, isn't it? This is good. Uh, and there's no, no comeback. And I felt God said to me, what did I call you to do? I thought, well, raise this church and lead us on. Yeah, that's what I called you to do. But what about this terrific opening? And I felt God... God was saying to me, I, I that's not from me. An uncommanded work can destroy you. You just get, I'm doing this one, and I'll do that. And wow, someone should go through that door. And if you're not careful, you're, you're spinning so many plates. I say, have you got faith for it? I've got time for faith. I've got to go there. I've got to go there. I've got this to do as well. The little little note, uh, your food's in the oven. I've gone to this meeting. You say, hey, what's happening? Well, somebody, somebody should go. I mean, she's on her own. Someone, someone should do it. If you're not careful, you're doing uncommanded stuff. You're just busy, busy. And, and Jesus writes this letter to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. He says, I know your work. I know your labor. I know your steadfastness. Tremendous things. But in the letter to the Thessalonians, he says this. The same three words... I know your work of faith. I know your labor of love. I know the steadfastness of your hope. So in this the church, you've got labor, work, uh, steadfastness, but it's labor of love, work of faith, steadfastness of hope. Now at, at, at the church at Ephesus, he says, I know your labor. I know your work. I know your steadfastness, the love, faith, hope not mentioned. Like the outer shell is still there. And Jesus has to say to them, unless you come to the love, back, back to the love you used to have, I'll remove your lab stand. You see, I look at some of these buildings around in England, these closed churches, I think, wow, what has Satan done? But I'm not sure Satan has authority to close churches. I'm not sure he's been given that authority. But Jesus says this, unless you come back to the love you have, I'll remove your lampstand. I'll do it. Wow, that's scary. I'd hate to be the pastor of a church that he's removed the lampstand from. What does that look like? You know, the story of Saul in the Old Testament, God said to Saul, today the kingdom is removed from you. He said that to Saul because David's coming up. Today. But it doesn't mean Saul could not walk into the palace tomorrow. He could still sit on the throne. But God said, I've removed the kingdom from you. And and Jesus says, unless you come back to the love you had, I'll remove the lampstand. Wow, that's scary. So these I think are, are kind of dead things, things that we we do, but we don't know why we're doing them. We don't have faith to do them. We're not motivated by love. Someone's got to do them. Come on. Who's going to do that for us? And, oh, I better do it because nobody else will do it. And that can creep in. That can creep in. You can find, who runs that? Well, I do. Why? Do you like, well, I don't know. Someone has to do it. And that, once that starts creeping in, what was life and hope, tremendous, becomes dead gradually. Death starts creeping up. Now, why, why do we do these things? Why do we do things we haven't got faith for? Why do we do things that I don't feel motivated to do? What's, what's behind that? What makes us do it? Well, I want to suggest to you that for some of us, it's what I want to call conscience work. And this is where we overlap with the message of grace. That we do it sometimes because, well, I want people to think good of me. I want God to think good of me. And so we sometimes do things to justify ourselves. We do things so we'll look good, even in the eyes of God. We haven't grasped grace that sets us free. The kind of message we were looking at last night, that Jesus has accepted me in the beloved and delights in me, and I'm absolutely free. And because I'm free, I don't get into conscience stuff. I don't do things to somehow make me feel good. I don't need to. Jesus already makes me feel good. I don't need to impress God. Jesus already did it, and I'm hidden in Jesus. So I don't have to do conscience work. I don't have to think, what will other people think of me? Because I'm free. So this passage I just read to you, it says, the blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from dead works. I think dead works are conscience-driven because I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good about what they might think of me if I don't do it. Somebody better do it. Okay, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but... And we get drawn into things we've no real motivation for because our conscience gets troubled. We need to understand that. Now, Paul says this in Romans 4, verses 4 and 5, to him who does not work but believes in God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is regarded as righteousness. Hallelujah. To one who doesn't work, all right, his faith is regarded as righteousness. That's a very dangerous message again. It's a sort of time where the elders are thinking, hey, what's he going to say next? If we're not careful, we'll be doing everything because nobody will be doing anything because they'll be saying, hallelujah, I'm righteous anyway, hallelujah. (laughs) And uh, I won't do a thing. Okay, so let me just take you through it. I know when we were in the church that I mentioned earlier, Wendy and I, First Church, and at first we were trying to bring transformation. We're trying to open the church up to the things of the Spirit. We're trying to become a many-membered body, uh, not just a voice. And, and, and we're very preoccupied with, with really restoring church life. And so we're quite inward-looking, really. Uh, and then we, we gained through, we broke through, we saw some things happening. The church is, I mean, it's not perfect, as you'll understand, but it's really kind of broken through. And I felt God said to me, hey, you've not had much fellowship with other churches in town. I, I-, I want you to you know, make contact. And so I went to the local pastor's fraternal. And I said, hey, I said, I- I- I'd like to come along. And they said, oh, good, come in. You're welcome. It's good to see you. We've noticed you've been a bit kind of self-contained. But come on, join in more. Great, we will. About a week later, so quickly. Somebody, Because many of these churches in my town, typical English, they weren't necessarily gospel preaching. They're just churches that are there. Anyway, the next week, someone knocks my door. Uh, hello? I understand you're coming in with all the churches. Uh, yeah, we want to have more fellowship. Uh, well, I'm so pleased. Yeah, good. We're, we're pleased too. We're looking forward to more fellowships. So they good because next week, We're all going out, as many as we can get from the churches, to all the houses around. We're going to put envelopes in every house, and then we go back the next week and ask for their money from all the houses around the town. It's called Christian Aid, and we're going to do that. And um, I'm so glad you're coming in. So I said, "Uh, no, I don't think we're going to do that. He said, you said you're coming in with all the churches. I said, yeah, yeah, we want to do that more. Well, that's what we're all doing. So I said, well, I, I don't think we necessarily will. He said, we're all doing it. Then he said this, he said, even the Catholics are joining in. <laughs> now, what was, what was he trying to do? He's trying to give me a bad conscience. He's trying to get me to do it because I'll feel bad about myself. I'll feel bad about what will the others think of us if we don't do it. But praise God, I understand I'm justified by grace and not by works. So I can say to him, no, we're not going to do it, and I'm righteous anyway. Thank you very much. Goodbye. (laughs) See, I'm not going to do it, and I'm righteous anyway. Now that sets me free. I'm not going to do it because I'm not justified by works. I'm justified by faith as a gift. And because we know it, we can walk free. We don't have to do anything. So you can be in this church, you don't have to do anything. Isn't that great news? We just turn up and, and Mark will set out all the chairs and do the PA and play the guitar and do the preaching. It's just we don't have to do a thing. It's great, isn't it? You don't have to do anything to justify yourself. Okay, so Terry, where are you going with this? Well, let me just go one more step. We repent. It says earlier in Hebrews, repent from dead works. Have your conscience cleansed. From dead works in order to do what to serve the living God our conscience cleansed from dead works that we might serve the living God now I want to underline the difference between dead works and serving the living God let me just remind you of some very famous Bible verses Titus 2 14 Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Right, so God wants a people zealous for good works. That's what he wants. That's, his, that's what he desires. He gave himself to have a people zealous for good works. Again, Matthew 5, Jesus introduces a note of urgency, really, that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. you do good works, God gets the glory. One more, John 9, 14. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no man can work. Hey, you've got a season when you can. And then one more. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Now, it's very important. I'm coming. My reward is with me To render to every man according to what he's done. So, I wonder if we ever think about that. That God wants to reward our good works. Now, we don't often hear about reward, but it's important we think about it. Because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. In fact, perhaps the best passage about it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to stay there for a little while if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15 where Paul says this, he's laid a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay straw. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So here we are. We're justified freely as a gift. God declares me righteous. I'm accepted. I'm a child of the king. I'm born into his family. All free, all grace. And then he invites me to serve him. He invites me. Somebody said it's like this. He gives me a white robe and then he gives me a needle with a gold thread and says, embroider beautiful things on that white robe. It's all free. He gives us righteousness as a gift and then invites us to serve him. And then it says this. At the end, all our works will be tested by fire. Some will prove to be gold, silver, precious stones. Some will prove to be wood, Straw, dust, just gone. And some, it says, will suffer loss. And some will be rewarded. Now, we're not talking about salvation quite plainly. He says here, it will test the quality of each man's work. Some will suffer loss, but he'll be saved. Salvation isn't by works. We'll be saved. We're saved through the blood of Jesus. But our works will be tested by fire to test the quality of of every man's work that's what it says and so God wants to reward us God wants to say well done good and faithful servant you've done well I tested it with fire now what does that look like? well I think here's a model of what it looks like Jesus is in the temple and the rich guy comes in with his great big bowl of money and he looks around to make sure a few people are watching and he peels off a few notes you know hey it's me I'm generous the way I am and uh, puts it in. You know, and then in comes the little woman, and, and she's got two little coins, and she's hoping no one's looking. And she slips in the two coins. Yeah. And Jesus, it says, is looking. Yeah. Not like us on the offering when we all gaze at the sky, we don't look at what anybody's doing. <laughs> Jesus is looking. He's looking. It's like, a, it's like, beloved, it's like an example of what it will be one day. Jesus is looking he's looking and it's almost like the gifts are in there let the fire fall, I let the smoke go the smoke goes think where's that guy's great big gift it's gone up in smoke wood hay, stubble it's not there it's disappeared where's the woman's gift mine alive look gold silver special precious, precious stones God will test the quality of each man's work. That's what it says. So some will suffer loss. Then we're saved. Hallelujah, we're saved. But God wants us to serve in such a way that he can reward us. Salvation by faith, grace, all free. But he wants me to serve him and he wants to reward us. Now we've almost completely forgotten the doctrine of rewards. It's like we missed it somewhere. Uh, and we've we kind of put together kind of fragments that make up a theology without thinking it through. It's like we don't matter. It's like what you do doesn't matter. And even like it's not you anyway. What do I mean? Well, things like this. You know, you have a great time. Maybe the keyboard player, maybe you say to the keyboard player, hey, thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. It was so good. And sometimes the keyboard player will say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. Yeah, you see you, it wasn't me it was the Lord you feel like saying well, who played the wrong note I mean that's like I, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't hear any wrong notes okay or, or, or sometimes say, it wasn't me it was the Lord you say well it was good but the Lord it wasn't that good you know the Lord no. <laughs> but people people are they don't know what to do with it you say thank you you say no 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 it wasn't me That no, it was you thanks a lot and, and, and thanks for all the years you learned to play. And when it sounded awful, and you kept going and you learned the chords and you learned to play. And thank you that you gathered with the other musicians every week. And thank you, Get It Together. And thank you, Service Oh Well. And don't say it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Thank you very much. You see, but, but we said, Oh, it wasn't me. What do we mean it wasn't me? What do we mean? See, sometimes I used to go, when I first started preaching, you go around the churches a bit, that was how it was. You go around, and and you go to some of these formal churches, and this prayer was prayed often. You go into a kind of deacon's cupboard, and they pray over you. And they say, oh God, this morning, hide the preacher. We would see Jesus only. Uh, Hide the preacher. And, uh, I mean, (laughs) a, a, a friend of mine said, He said, if they pray that over me again, because you used to hear often, hide the preacher. He said, I'm going to go into the pulpit. I'm going to say, let us pray. And when they close their eyes, I'm going down under the pulpit. (laughs) He he said, we'll see how they get on without me. (laughs) And in some of of these old English churches, I mean, (laughs) centuries-old churches, you can go into the pulpit, and it's actually engraved in the wooden pulpit, Sir we would see Jesus. You know, we know what they mean, but you're stuck with me. You know, that's the problem. <laughs> and so the problem is like, like, it's Jesus who plays the piano, and we want Jesus to preach the sermon, please. Hide the preacher. Now, what are we saying? What are we saying? It's like, well, you don't really matter. And we don't want you getting in the way, because we want the authentic Jesus. Now, now, we know really what we're trying to say, but we don't think it through. And then more recently, I've heard, this, I've heard this from people I love, actually, and respect, but I've heard them say things like this, Jesus wants a faceless army. A faceless army, okay? <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, I've heard it, I've heard it. Jo- what Jesus really wants is a faceless army. What are you talking about? What he's saying is this, God loves anonymity. Jesus plays the piano. Jesus plays the sa- the, f- the whole army is faceless. <laughs> now, you put together these fragments. No one's saying there's a theology, but you pick that up. You pick that up. You pick that up. What's the outcome? doesn't matter. It's Jesus who does it. See, the Bible isn't like that. The Bible tells me about David's army, and they've all got names. And, and Bosa. he was captain of this. He was one of the first. He, he did this amazing thing. And they've all got names. Oh, outrageous. They've got names. No, God's happy with names. Yeah. God's happy with identity. God's given you an identity. God's made you a person with unique fingerprints, a unique face, a unique voice, a unique eyes. Are going to face him one day? What did you do? Oh, no, Jesus did it. No, he didn't. <laughs> See, you put the whole thing together. you've robbed us of this stunning reality. I'm going to face God one day. I'm going to give account. I'm going to give account. You see, there's a guy called Ignatius of Loyola. He was uh, a Jesuit, actually it happens he set up the Jesuit movement. He gave the church a famous prayer. And this is what he said: "We do all things not looking for any reward save that of knowing we do your will. Now, that's a beautiful prayer, and it may well be he had a very good motive, but it's not biblical. We do this not looking for any reward. See, we're not interested. How's the Bible finish? The Bible finishes with Jesus, one of the last things in the Bible. Jesus says, I am coming, my reward is with me to give to every man according to what he's done. That's the last statement of Jesus. I'm coming, my reward is with me. I'm going to give to every man according to what he's done. So imagine Ignatius of Loyola, when Jesus comes with the clouds and the angels and glory. So, oh, Jesus, Jesus, uh, sit down a minute, Jesus, hold on. Um, we think we've moved on to a higher ethic uh, than rewards. You know, We feel we've moved on. From- hey, I'm not going to argue with Jesus, are you? Who'd volunteer on that day? Ah, oh, why, don't Jesus, forget the reward thing. We're not interested. <laughs> hey? Yeah. What? Yeah. Jesus said, my reward is with me. I'm coming to give rewards. Yeah. Oh, well, I thought you played the piano, Jesus. I thought you preached. I thought we were faceless. No, you're not. Brilliant. I'm going to ask you, what did you do? Yes. You're going to stand before me. And beloved, it's, it's not about salvation. Salvation's by grace. It's free. He loves me. He's delighted with me. He invites me to serve him. Yeah. He invites you to. We want to serve him. And he, to our amazement, wants to reward us. And some will suffer loss. That's a horrible line to read. Because the fire's going to burn it up. That's what it says. Now, if you look in the next chapter, you'll find what Paul says. He says, Verse, uh, chapter 4, it's a very small thing that I'm examined by you. Verse 4, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted. The one who examines me is the Lord. Now this is the, ver- this is the verse, verse 5. Don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait till the Lord comes, who will both bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. He'll disclose the things hidden in darkness and the motives of men's hearts. Things we can't see. So why do you do this? You see, it might be, well, someone's got to do it. Why do you do this? Well, what will they think of me if I don't? That's a bit dangerous living with that. Because he's going to disclose the motives of men's hearts. What well, you can't see. Terry, why did you go to Cape Town in February, 2000, whatever it is, 19? Why did you go? 2019. Why did you go? Because he will disclose the motives of men's hearts. Things hidden. You can't see. It's serious stuff. And so. We can, I, I want to stand before God, don't you? And so, he said, well, I'm not interested in rewards. Ignatius, says, I'm not interested in rewards. Paul says this, I've fought the fight, I've run the race, henceforth there is laid up for me. You mean you're thinking about the rewards? Yes, I am, Paul says. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. So this whole teaching... You put it together. God's not interested in you playing the piano. He's not interested in you preaching. He's not interested in an army that's got faces. Ridiculous. He's very interested in us and what we do. And He wants to reward us. And he wants to reward us, beloved, not for conscience work. Because conscience work gets you nowhere. Why are you doing that? Well, what will people think of me if I don't? No, that's missing the point. And so, in that church that's full of the Holy Spirit and his many-membered body, we're going to find things we're actually very stirred to do. And God's going to reveal the motives, not just what we do, but what, why we did it. That's why this, the fire fell in the temple when these offerings went in. I mean, it's a big offering this guy put in. But it says in 1 Corinthians 13: if it's without love, it's nothing, it yeah. goes up in smoke waste of time waste of time yeah waste of time incredible it's incredible so people say oh you preach grace that means it's no no we preach the whole message of grace (laughs) justified freely but responsible believers that want to live in the light of these things so let's just draw to a close here we've repented from dead works we want our conscience cleansed from dead works in order that what we might serve the living God Right, serving the living God looks quite different. Let me remind you of what it says in the Bible. The Lord working with them. They work, the Lord working with them. That's not a dead work. Again, 2 Corinthians 6.1, working together with God then. That's a living work. It's a work that God's involved with us, isn't it? We're doing it looking to him, expecting his help. The Lord working with us. That's serving the living God. That's different from keeping the wheels of religion turning over. It's serving the living God. Again, living works express His love. Paul says the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ. It's like someone's in your small group, and they're in hospital, and you've had a busy day, and you come home and say, "Oh, I haven't visit. Somebody ought to visit her. Somebody ought to visit her. I'd better go." i better go and visit her. Why? Well, what will she think of me if I don't? She'll be out of hospital soon, and I didn't go. Maybe you say, Lord, should I visit her? Maybe the Lord will say, no, no, your life, you're joking. You've got the kids to look after. Your husband will be home soon. You've got this and this and that. No, that's the last thing you need is to go to that hospital. That's the last thing. Because it's a conscience thing. And actually, you're not thinking about her. You're thinking, what will she think of you if you don't go? So we need to have a kind of re- a bell that goes off. Whenever you hear the word, I ought to, you need a little bell. What does that mean? Challenge it. What do I mean, I ought to? Yeah. What is my motive? Because yeah. he's going to test the motives. Right. Well, what I think is, what will she think of me? She comes out of hospital, I never got there. It's not a good enough motive. So you say Lord, Lord, do you want me to go? He may say, no, your life is ridiculously busy. Don't even think about it. Or, or he may say to you, hey, I'm so glad you asked. She's never had surgery before. She's really scared. And she's lonely. And I want to express my love to her. I want you to go. Take my love into that hospital ward. Go in my name. It's a different thing altogether. It's a different thing altogether. It may look the same to the nurse who sees you walk in. But it can be even the lady lying in the hospital. You know, you go in, how are you? Nice to see you. Eat her grapes. And she's sitting there (laughs) thinking, I don't know. Nothing's reaching me, you know. And the angels are going (gasps) Because they know it's all going to get going up in smoke eventually. It's a waste of time. <laughs> or, or you take the love of Jesus in there. And you begin to talk and, and hearts open and you pray and you, yeah. bring the, you bring the presence of Jesus. I mean, to the nurse it looks exactly the same. To the angels it looks two different things. You see, it's, it's conscience work, beloved. Do, what will they think of me? No, we don't have to do any of that. We're free from that. We don't have to do conscience work. But we do want to be serving the living God with fellowship with him, with love in our hearts, and actually doing the things he wants to do gets the will of God done. See, I love what it says about David. It says, God says, I've found David, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. It's almost like God's dancing around heaven. I've found one who will do my will. God loves that. And David does the will of God. It says at the end of his life, David fell asleep having fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. What a great testimony. He did the will of God. You see, beloved, living works get the will of God done. Dead works don't. Conscience work is just for you anyway just to get you feeling better. That's not getting the will of God done. God gets so bored with conscience work. He says, I'll take your lampstand away. You've lost the heart you used to have. It's just conscience work. And so we need to see this, that Paul said, I want to lay hold of that for which God laid hold of me. Isn't that wonderful? You see, there's a, there is a that associated with each of our lives. One of my favorite verses in Ephesians 2, verse 10, I think it is, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for works he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. It's amazing. We're his workmanship. The Greek word is poema. We get our word poetry from. One of the, I think it's the Jerusalem Bible, translates it his work of art. Ever thought of yourself as a work of art? We're his poem. We're his workmanship, created in Christ for works he prepared beforehand for us to walk in, things that God chose us to do. So sometimes it's easy to decide, but sometimes it's not always so easy to discern. I wonder what Susanna Wesley thought as she raised all her families, but as she raised her family, there's John Wesley, Charles Wesley. I think, wow, what a mother, what a family she raised. What works God prepared for her to do? Sometimes we think it's all platform stuff. Behind the scene. all kinds of beautiful, beautiful works. God gives works. Remember the first church we were in, we had a very sweet, godly lady who had the most beautiful gift of hospitality. Terrific gift of hospitality. And she'd stand at the door and she said, any new students in this week? And I might say, yeah, there's some new students. We had a college then. students would come. Yeah, send them down, send them down. You and Wendy come as well. And we come down after Sunday meeting. There she is. I think, I don't know how you do this. There's like five extra students. Then there's, I think, I don't know how you do this. But she did it. And she had this great gift of hospitality. And it was none of this Mary Martha thing. It wasn't, why isn't somebody helping me? She just loved it. She loved it and and, and as a result she kind of got people because they came from all over the world to this college so now she's got like daughters in Guyana and over there and over there because they kept in touch and all they'd come in any time wow what a beautiful gift serving God from a heart wasn't conscience work no not at all she loved it and she was gifted to do it and there was a supernatural element I don't know how she did it you think how did she do that how did that food all go round? There's all sorts of gifts that God gives. We we serve God. We do the thing God has given us to do. Jesus said this, I have glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you gave me to do. He said, I'd love to serve God. I wish I was like Billy Graham. I wish I was like Jackie Pullinger, Catherine Kuhlman. I I wish I was like one of these great people. No, Jesus says this. I've glorified you on the earth. I've done the work you gave me to do. In John 4, the disciples come back to Jesus. He's talking to the woman at the well. And they say, have you had anything to eat? They've gone to buy food. Have you had anything to eat? He said, he said you, I have food to eat you know nothing about. This is my meat. To do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my meat. That's my nourishment. I gain strength from it. This is my meat to do what He wants me to do. That's not conscience work. That's not keeping the wheels turning. It's finding what God's got for me. Like Paul saying, "I want to." God laid hold of. When God laid hold of me, there was a kind of that in His mind. I want to lay hold of that, for which God laid hold of me. But so beloved, yeah, grace makes us utterly accepted when the guy knocks my door and says are you going to do it I say no we're not but others are doing it well God bless them we're not you see if if my conscience isn't clear I'll get sucked into all kinds of stuff well what will people think I don't really care Paul says Paul says quite plainly don't judge before the day he said I don't care really what you think of me it's right there in the scripture I don't care it's a very small thing what you think of me what freedom freedom, grace brings freedom I don't really care what you think, Paul says he said what matters is what he thinks and when he comes he's going to judge the secret things what's hidden in my heart is going to come public I want to stand there I don't want it all going up in fire, so grace has made me thoroughly accepted I delight in it, I'm not under law I'm under grace I'm completely free. I'm not trying to justify myself by Christian activity even. It's a done deal, Jesus has done it. Hallelujah. We're not under law, we're under grace. But God wants me to serve him now. Now he's freed me from all that, declared me righteous. Come and serve me. Yeah, I'd love to, Lord. What do you want me to do? And you know, when you come to a new church or you're new in the church, you kind of just help where you can. And then as the church grows in maturity, it's like a body. It's like we've, we've got umpteen grandchildren, Wendy and I, and so you've 19. And uh, you see them at all different stages. And when you see a little child, it's funny, isn't it? You see a little baby, and they're lying back in the mother's arms sometimes, or in the pram. And you see their hand go up, and they're looking at this hand as if to say, where's that come from? You know, it's a hand. They say, have you seen that? They go, oh, oh. They don't even know it belongs. You know, it's a hand. And and then they gradually grow. And they think knees are for walking on. And they think toes are for sucking. They haven't got a clue what the bits are for. <laughs> they don't know what the bits are for. They're just babies. And then gradually they grow. And gradually they learn. Oh, feet are for walking on. Oh, I can do Oh, I can do And then, then you, see the, you see the athlete. You think, wow, how do they do that? That athletic figure. Man, look at that. That's a fully armed body. That's a fully developed body. So in a local church, sometimes we're not quite sure the bits are for. And so we all have a go at everything. Yeah, of course, let's help. Let's do what we can. But as we grow, as we grow, and as we become more aware of God's grace that's given to us, we begin to discern that when you do that, wow, that blesses the whole church. You know, we all thank you so much. That's a beautiful gift. We're so pleased. Or we may have to say, when you do that, you blow the meeting out of the wall. You know, please don't do that again. And, and when that happens, you say, all right, I'll go to a church where I'm appreciated then. <laughs> or you grow up. And you say, thank you so much. I want to grow. Please help me. You see, in the small life group, you just, you just dominate the group. You're spoiling it. What are we going to do with that? We say, thank you, help me. I do want to grow up. See, the Bible's about growing together. It really is. We grow together. Together. No one can grow to maturity as a Christian alone. It's impossible. It's impossible. The whole New Testament says, now help one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, confess your faults to one another, admonish one another. There's loads of 40 plus one another's. We come through together, and we find out what I'm in the body for. That's why it's great to belong to a loving church, where I feel I could, I could trust. If she spoke to me, i trust her. I can open my heart to him. I trust him. So trust and love and comradeship, we all start growing. The body starts growing. We begin to discern great gifts that are amongst us. It needs love. It needs comradeship. It needs watching out for one another. And we grow in, as a church. Each part is working properly. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multiplied, the, the, the multicolored grace of God. That's what the word is, it's variegated. It, it's like multicolor. God's grace is multicolored. We all play our part, and we grow in grace. Just close with two testimonies of two souls. The soul of the Old Testament, one of the last things he says, King Saul of the Old Testament says this, I have played the fool. The old King James says this, I have erred exceedingly. That's his testament, the end of his life. It's like Richard II, in, in Shakespeare play, I have wasted time, now doth time waste me. It's that sound of like, I played the fool. And then you get the soul of the New Testament, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown. A crown. You get that in the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven. Looking for the reward. You often find that in the Hebrews, looking for the reward. Their eyes are looking forward. God wants us to have a heart celebrating grace. It's all free. Because of Jesus' death, we're righteous as a gift. Hallelujah. Works will not save us. Jesus' blood saves us, makes us thoroughly accepted. We delight in him. He delights in us. We celebrate grace. Then he invites us. Come on, let's... Get involved in serving the living God. Let's celebrate the grace he gives to us. and we we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow morning. The various graces that God gives to us. We celebrate God's lavish grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for breathtaking kindness that blots out all our guilt, all our shame. Lord, we're so grateful that all our sins are washed away. And we don't have to try and justify ourselves. We don't have to do conscience work. Your blood has cleansed our conscience. Well, thank you so much for a clear conscience by faith. Now, Lord, please keep drawing us into the things you have for us to do that we might glorify you on the earth. We might do things that bring you glory out of our deep gratitude and delight in you, Father.